This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Here's the scenario. You've been injured in a serious accident. The doctor says your recovery could take months, maybe even years, yet your insurance company is denying your claim every step of the way. If something like this happens to you, call me, Brian Goldfinger of Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. We have offices in Toronto, London, Peterborough, and now Kitchener-Waterloo. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. Was it a win? No. The Raptors lose 108 to 103. But as a fan, as fans, what are you looking for other than moments in the world with your team? You want moments to remember because you can't remember everything. You just want stuff to hold on to. Pascal Siakam hitting the game winner over Draymond Green, the bucket that gave them the lead that they held in game six of the 2019 NBA Finals. Kyle Lowry. That sequence where he had 11 points to open up game six of the finals. Kawhi Leonard shot. OG Ananobi's shot. All that stuff. Extremely fun. The 30-point comeback against the Mavericks last year. A bunch of different things. Here's the thing. Malachi Flynn in this game doing a pretty good Tracy McGrady impression. That's something I'll remember for quite a while. And the fake comebacks that we've seen the Raptors put on where They always end up losing the game. They never actually complete the comeback. But they get close enough so that their net rating is is improving and so that they don't lose too much by the numbers. But they've been losing all these games by so many points. And then just at the end, there's that, that kick. They're trying to get back into it. And usually I kind of roll my eyes at it. But tonight with Flynn, what he did, that was kind of awesome. So 108, 103, the Raptors lose. But there's things to take away in this game. Chief among them, I think Pascal Siakam, Malachi Flynn, Kem Birch, and Freddie Gillespie. Now, Gillespie, limited minutes. I'll start with him. But I think that there's a level of hustle. And he translates some of the defense that he was known for at Baylor into, I think, palpable impact in the NBA. And he's a pretty good mover on that end. Not to mention since Nathan Knight on the Hawks has gotten more minutes, he's made a very big deal. It's become very important to him to start posterizing a bunch of players on a bunch of other teams. And Gillespie met him at the peak, met him at the summit, blocked him at the rim. And Gillespie, a guy who carries a little bit of extra weight, it's really nice to see him get up with guys in air because as you saw Solomon Hill in this game, for example, he went up in air and bounced Chris Boucher from in front of the rim under the rim and eventually onto his back and then finished without a contest, right? Because you take that bounce and a lot of players who have played, you know, any level of decent basketball know that you take the bounce in air, 
you hang, you finish. And it's really tough for thin guys to defend like that. And Chris Boucher failed at it. Gillespie, he has the weight and the ability to get up that he can't get bounced like that. If you go in and you try to bounce off him and finish over top, his contest will likely still be there because your momentum isn't going to be able to take him out of the play. So that was really cool to see. Also, Kim Birch, some really, really heady steals made in this game, like a little bit more on-ball chops than he probably wanted to provide because he was getting steals with a clear path to, you know, two-on-one or three-on-one breaks or one-on-one stuff into the open court. So he put the ball on the ground to try and push those advantages to try and press the Hawks into making a mistake defensively, opening up a gap or a lane to the rim for a teammate, or you know, maybe even just committing to somebody who's spacing out to the three-point line. He can get to the rim for a layup or a dunk in transition, but really heady steals and some heady defensive plays made, not to mention that he was viable rim running and hit a three-pointer and a mid-range jump shot, both of them assisted by Pascal Siakam. If there's any and I mean any pick-and-pop viability, then you're in the money because that hasn't ever really been a part of Ken Birch's game. And he's been a quality defensive player who has been limited offensively and can underwhelm on the glass at times. And in this game, I think that if, if he's bringing anything else offensively, you start to think that, you know, maybe this isn't just, you know, a run-of-the-mill backup center, but he could start to elevate to, you know, quite a good backup center and a guy who, in a spot start, can give you a double-double and some good defense, and you'll be really happy with what he provides, you know, in limited minutes when you just get to say, like, Kim, we need you tonight. And so stuff he can work on and hopefully stuff that allows him to grow into a role that the Raptors feel like they're going to bring him back next year. And there's one hole on the roster that's existed for this whole season that you don't have to worry about next year and you know you have it you have it covered and you know that you know perhaps it's also covered by a Canadian guy who's you know that's great the Raptors fans love when there's Canadian Canadian on the team and for good reason there's not that many in the NBA and when they play for the Raptors cool thing Boucher Birch both uh holding it down in the front court for the Raptors Pascal his ability to create in this game I think was very very impressive was really feeling himself as far as pulling up, not just in the mid-range, from from downtown as well. He gets a little bit... Um, it wouldn't be forcing it because it's a two-for-one opportunity, but I think he takes he takes those because he thinks it's a good it's a good opportunity for him to work through his jump shot in-game. And I really like that for him. I wish that all the two-for-one opportunities would go to him because it just allows him an in-game rep at a pull-up jumper from deep. And I really like it. He was hitting a lot of them last year. The Raptors usually just run a fun little pitch play, and typically it's it's Fred VanVleet who has it in his hands, and he hands off to uh, to Pascal. But I think it was Flynn in this game for the most part. But Pascal was hitting a lot of them last year at the start of the year. Lewis wrote about it, and it was really good. And this year it's been you know more underwhelming because Pascal's three point shot has not been the same at all. But in this game. The ability to score on the inside, and especially when guys are pinching in, there's so much help there. The Atlanta Hawks are really keyed in on him, but he's still finding those gaps. You can tell. You just watch the game and see how keyed in the team is because you see him standing at the nail pretty much, the free throw line, dribbling, and you just see from both sides the the guys pinching in and saying, like, there's no lane here. And he's just dribbling until it opens up 
And then, boom, he's punching that gap and trying to get to the bucket. And that takes a lot of willpower. I think that there's a lot of resiliency in Pascal to keep fighting to the rim when the other team recognizes that he's basically the only guy who's going to be able to do it on the team. That's difficult. And when a team is so keyed in on you, it's tough to just keep willing yourself to go at it and try and get to the bucket and not just settle for you know, mid-range jumpers over the top of, you know, the drop or three-point shots even. And to see Pascal not only get after it, but find success doing so in this game was nice. And, you know, Flynn, I mean, he he's provided most of the same stuff that he's been providing over the last six games, I think, where it's quality lead guard play. Now, would a team want him you know, running the offense in a game four of the NBA Finals or a game three of the second round. Maybe not unless it was a bench unit, but I think he's done quite well in handling what other guys need and finding the right mix of his own offense and uh, other and his teammates. Not to mention he was an absolute heat pump towards the end of the game, as I talked about at the start of the podcast, the McGrady-esque uh, performance from downtown. It was awesome to see. You love that you love when guys have moments like that. And that's that's really nice. It's it's a beautiful game and beautiful things happen. And that tonight I felt like was one of them. But altogether, though, the Raptors do lose this game and they uh, they're a limited team. They continue to be a limited team. It doesn't help their offense when their defense lets them down. And the Hawks ran a lot of tidy actions that were just really, really clever. Bogdanovich, in particular, was really sharp tonight. And his ability to manipulate two-man actions, it was very impressive. And he got a lot of open looks for him and his teammates just on those alone. And the Raptors, if they're not scoring super well, they have to defend super well. And too often, they were breaking down. And even a game where OG, OG, who is, you know, he's fantastic. Brad, who I who I did the weekly podcast with, who's he he does breakdowns of the Raptors defense better than anybody else, I believe. I I'm fairly confident saying that. Even he tweeted after the game, he was like, Wow, I can't believe OG had that defensive game that was kind of flat after I picked him over Fred for the all NBA defender on the Raptors this year. And I do I do agree with them. OG was kind of flat in this game, and that's you know, that's that's okay. It's it's obviously not ideal, but OG we've seen competes at the highest level when the stakes are highest. He was fantastic against the Celtics in that series. He's a good player in the playoffs, and when it comes down to it, he's a really great defender. So an off game here and there, I don't think you can do anything other than shrug at it. Sometimes guys don't bring their all. It's a long season, and that's what happened with OG tonight, and you know, keep it moving on to the next one. He's a young player. He's growing every game. We see a little bit more today. It was a little bit more limited than what we've seen in the past, but it's uh progression isn't linear. There's a lot of ups and downs as you slowly scale the uh, efficiency slash playmaking slash scoring uh, roller coaster, whatever it is. Right. So I, it's okay. Gary Trent. Gary Trent is going to be a little bit up and down. He's a shooter. There is variance tied to the three-point shot. That means that, and Gary Trent, you want him throwing up a lot of threes. He's clearly very, very good from downtown. Variance be damned. And this is something I talked about in my big piece that I wrote about Gary Trent Jr. is despite him having that 17 for 19 game and going, I think, like 10 for 10 inside the arc in that game, he's still... 
he's not going to be super efficient inside the arc. And this game was a reflection of that, I think. And quite a few games in Raptors jerseys have been reflections of that. Is He very, very clearly needs to develop some of how he scores on the in the inside of the arc because he doesn't have a ton of burst. He's not bowling by guys. He doesn't have his left hand at the rim. And so push shots with his right hand, being able to get to fairly makeable right-handed layups and floaters and step back mid-range jump shots. If you if you aren't extremely athletic or one of the shiftiest players in the league, you're not going to be able to convey yourself, put yourself in those positions that make you an efficient player inside the arc very often. So there's craft that needs to be added to his game if he wants to graduate some of his skills to a higher efficiency outside of those anomaly games where he's just out of his mind, which everybody take those in stride because those are those are part and parcel of the Gary Trent Jr. experience. And along with that, you know, he's he's trying this. I don't mind him trying more stuff and trying to get downhill. And if the Raptors were really focused on winning and had everybody healthy and they were clearly gearing up for the playoffs, him working off of sets and passing out of them and trying to play make a little bit more instead of, you know, doing the running back move, tucking the ball under his arm to be kind of dislodged and thrown up towards the rim, you know, half a second later instead of passing out to the corner or something like that for a reset. I don't mind that now because, you know, see how high your shot making goes, see what you think you need to work on, what counters should be there, what are teams taking away from you? What 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 do you like to go to after that is taken away? And so he very clearly has the mid-range step back down. He has the three-point step back down. The the mechanics for that move are very clear and concise. That's He's been doing it for some time. And so everything else just needs to be worked on a little bit more. But it's not super easy for him to score inside the arc. He can't transport himself to the rim with ease. And so if he's in transition a lot, you're going to see that stuff go up. If there's breakdowns in defense, sometimes he can scoot to the rim. That's nice too. But for the most part, his counter is going to be a jump shot from the mid-range. And that's going to be, there's going to be a lot of variance night to night on that. If he's really feeling it, maybe he is shooting over 50%. But for the most part, it's probably going to be something you expect to see coming between like 36 to 43% for his tenure as a Raptor. Unless he becomes incredible. And some of that shiftiness on ball with his with his handle, that can that can get you out of places, pump fix, stuff like that. You know, DeMar DeRozan doesn't have a good first step, so he went into the post and he worked on his craftiness. And Gary Trent Jr. doesn't have the same size that DeMar DeRozan does, but he might be able to work in some of the inside finishing that DeMar DeRozan developed, those floaters with either hand, the pump fakes, all that kind of stuff. So it remains to be seen, but the inefficient games are going to be part of the the Gary Trent Jr. experience. And this was just one of those. He's, you know, take these the same way you take the the extremely good shooting games because he's a shooter and shooters have more variance. So that's kind of that's kind of how it goes. If he ever creates on the inside the way he creates on the outside, then you're talking about a guy who could possibly be an all-star. So it's a long way to go for him, but he is the the youngest Raptor on the roster. And there's, you know, Sky's the limit. A lot of guys can develop a lot of different ways. So by no means is this a capper on the ceiling, just acknowledging how tough it will be to get to that point. But at the end of it all, the Raptors just, they were not able to to beat the Hawks in this one. And even though Trey Young was out, Capella really punished them on the glass. He His his size 
Kim Birch is not huge for the position. Neither is Gillespie. Neither is Boucher. They felt Capella there. And Akongwu, even though he didn't press them on the boards, I thought Akongwu was really nice moving between actions, either as you know a ball handler going from place to place to deliver dribble handoffs and stuff like that, or flashing middle to play make from that area. I thought he was good, and he lifted the Raptors' defense a little bit higher than they wanted to. And, you know... <laughs> Goodwin, he he was a spark plug. He had a nice game, and and good for him. He's been trying to carve out a spot in the league, and there you go, Brandon Goodwin carving out a spot, making you know making a name for himself at least for Raptors fans who always remember the role players who have beaten them. And you know, Goodwin, he did the he did his thing today. So the Raptors Reggie Evans Award winner, I'm giving to Kemp Birch. I know that he he was part of the group that got bullied by Capella. But he also led the Raptors in rebounds, and there's a tenaciousness to his. You can see it on the court. I, I can't really describe it, but a guy is trying to get a lot of places, is willing to dive on the floor, is willing to get after it, very, very readily competes on the glass to the best of his ability. That's Kim Birch, and I think that fits very well within the the Reggie Evans ethos. And if you disagree, uh, feel free to write in because. If you disagree with the Reggie Evans Award, just let me know, and we'll uh, we'll discuss, possibly. The top Kook Reaction comment is loading, but I'm going to keep talking while it does load. Oh, it transported me all the way to the bottom of the page? Interesting. Okay, so top Kook Reaction comment is from Zen Rockstar. Excellent name, Zen Rockstar. Quote, Pascal was a latecomer to basketball, and you really see it impact his basketball decision-making, starting late and not playing competitively until the age of 16. Most kids would have played a ton of basketball by then. His inability to make high IQ decisions has capped his potential. He's got to start seeing the court better. He's basically what Masai saw in the 16-year-old boy, athleticism and motor, end quote. Yeah, I got to disagree with you 100%. Uh, If playmaking is one of the best examples of how players see the floor, Pascal playmakes at his position better than almost all of his contemporaries, save for some superstars. IQ attached to NBA players is also maybe a little bit outdated. I think I'd like to see, and this starts with a guy, PD Web, player development web, and uh, Robel is also uh, championing this, but use feel instead of IQ because IQ isn't really attached to it. As, as you were saying, IQ doesn't make sense in the context that you provided as far as basketball decision-making. He didn't play it until 16. What you're describing is feel because your brain has seen so many different variations of basketball growing up that maybe those interpretations of high-level decision-making is hardwired into your brain. I think that's more accurately described as feel. But also, I disagree with the premise that Pascal is lacking it. Pascal play makes it a very high level. For his position, he has a vast array of tools and utility that a lot of players don't have. He is a very unique player in the league. He's just a bit outstretched as far as on ball creation. And I think you can see that. But I I disagree with the high IQ stuff. I disagree with capped potential. I think he's working through a hierarchy that he has because he has so many different skills to filter through. He has to figure out how best to use himself. Guys like Jason Tatum are going through similar things. Jason Tatum has had a disappointing year for the Celtics. Does that mean he's bad? No, it just means he can do a lot of things. And sometimes people are upset at what he chooses to do. So that's my take on that. And uh, yeah, I don't think he's just that athleticism and motor. There's a lot of finesse to Pascal's game. So 
Anyway, thanks for writing in, but listener, thanks for listening, whether you got into it in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye.